I don't know if you've ever had <laughs> a chocolate cannoli. I've never had a cannoli before, but it's going to be, again, part of my diet. You know, in this series, love starts here. Even a pizza joint can be a miracle for someone else, can be a provision, a place where people come that have a need, and somebody's already met that need. It, it, is, it is so cool. By the way, last weekend, we had just short of 7,000 worshipers, and tons of people gave their heart to Jesus last weekend. Awesome. Amazing. Now, last weekend was a very gospel-centered message. It was really centered on people that are far from God, that are away from God or have never met God. This weekend, we're going to shift it up a little bit. This weekend, we're going to drill down for believers in preparation for the table of the Lord. Uh, the table of the Lord, the Lord's Supper, is a celebration. And after this message, you will never look at the table of the Lord again. Matter of fact, I promise you are never going to forget this message. For millennial all the way back to recorded history, God has been preparing feasts. God prepared one for Abraham. God prepared one for Adam and Eve, all through the Old Testament into the New Testament where Jesus had meals with his disciples. Some of those were annual. Uh, today, some of them are, are a day we celebrate. Actually, God had actually several weeks set aside. God was the original partier. And God set aside time for his people to celebrate. And so we celebrate around the table. We call it the Lord's Supper. Now, if you've got your copy of the Word of God, if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to sort of anchor in Hebrews 9. Now, we're going to go to a difficult passage of Scripture. And one of the reasons that some of the Scripture is difficult is that we are Westerners. And the Bible is an Eastern book. We are Westerners. We read linearly. We think linearly. Uh, the, the Eastern mindset was not that way. And so you have to remember that the Bible is written by Jews, to Jews, for Jews. And so it comes from that mindset. And so there's so much stuff that we miss because we don't get that. It's one of the reasons that I've started taking groups of people to the Holy Land. Because when you go, you learn more of the customs, you learn more of the geography, you learn more of the history. This Bible becomes so much more relevant and so much more practical in your life because there are things that you now understand that you didn't. What I'm about to give you, I actually learned in Israel on our last trip. A gentleman went with us, Tony Crisp and his wife Karen. Tony's a pastor, and he said this, but he's been to Israel hundreds of times. Probably uh, one of the greatest, old, he's the greatest Old Testament scholar that I know, linguist, and we were on a bus, and he was sharing this with me. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use that. I'm, I'm going to keep that, and I'm going to use that. So is anybody ready for the Word of God? Anybody ready for the Word? All right. So let me give you a biblical concept that is, is a foundational block, and that is that we've all sinned, right? And sin has a penalty. Now, if you're not a believer, your sin will send you to an everlasting Hopeless, helpless eternity called hell. Now, we don't talk about hell anymore, do we? It's not fun. Nobody wants to hear about it, especially young adults. They, they have been on any, any time since I've been in the ministry, just simply hate talking about, don't want to think about it. They always, they always come to me when I say something about it and say, we, we don't like that. But you have to realize 
That's the reason Jesus came. Because we sin, and there's a penalty for that sin, and that sin is separated from God forever. And so Jesus came on Christmas, died on Good Friday, rose on Easter to pay the penalty for our sins. Does that make sense? So with that sort of backdrop, let's go to a very difficult passage of Scripture. Now, even the first covenant, we're talking about the, the Mosaic covenant and building the tabernacle, all the law. The first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, which is where the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies or the most holy place, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, raiders of the lost ark. Covering all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it were cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things have been prepared, so the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship, but the second one, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time, according both to the gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. It doesn't truly cleanse. So I'm going to, we're going to look at the Ark of the Covenant and I'm going to give you some symbolism that's going to rock your world. Are you ready? We'll go old school. Let me give you three C's because I promise you will never forget this message. You guys know I don't say that often. You're never going to forget this message. So the first C is the chest. That's what the word Ark means. It's a chest. Ladies, a hope chest it's a place of storage. It's a place of remembrance. It's a place where we put things and, and we want to keep. And so God said, I want you to build a chest. I want you to build an ark about four feet by two feet by two feet, overlay it inside and out with gold. And on it, I want you to put a mercy seat. Over the mercy seat are two cherubim, which guard the glory of God in heaven. Now, this passage is the most, is the most descriptive about what is in in. The, in the, the, the chest, the ark. Now, most of us, let me back up just, when we read a passage like what I just read to you, you know what most of us do? We hurry to find a good one. You ever read, say, I don't understand this, so you want to find some place that you get? That's what a lot of us do. We say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurry past that, but we're going to stop and camp out in this passage. So the first C is what? It's a chest. Second, see what matters even more are the contents of the chest. There are three things the Bible reveals for us. Hebrews 9 9 says this. It's talking about these things, the ark, and those that are in the ark are a symbol for the present time. So, again, since Old Testament symbolic, say that doesn't matter to me. I'm skipping that. To do that means you miss so much of the richness of the Word of God, of your salvation of the price that was paid for you, and even of the table of the Lord. So we're going to comprehend, at a far greater level, the table of the Lord. So let's look at three things that are the contents, the chest, 
the contents. Three things. Number one, there's a golden bowl of manna. And you remember when Moses went and got the people, they were in the wilderness on the way to Egypt, nothing to eat, so God sent them manna. The word manna means what is it? I believe it was Krispy Kreme. That's just my belief. You don't have to take that as your own. But every morning they would go out, they would gather the manna, and they would make sweet cake. Well, that's what a Krispy Kreme is. Glazed, little chocolate on you. Are y'all with me? Are y'all hungry? Because I have a... I'm not sharing, but I have it. And so the guy would provide the manna every day. And on Sunday, they were to get enough, and it would last through on, on Sabbath, so they didn't have to work on the Sabbath. But did they gripe about the manna? Did they say it's not good enough? Did they say, give us some meat? We should be back in Egypt where we had pots of fish and melons and garlic. And, man, we don't like this stuff. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever complained about God's provision? Your car, your house, your money, your kids. Have you ever complained? Just like they do. When people haven't changed, it's the Garden of Eden. So there's the, there's the bowl of manna. The second thing is Aaron's rod. Now, while they're in the wilderness, the people began to complain against Moses. And Aaron said, who do you think you are? We don't have to listen to you. You're not the boss of me. We're Hebrews too. We, we can hear from God too. We're sick and tired of listening to what you have to say. So Moses went to God and said, God, this is what they said. What do you want me to do? God said, go get all the leaders of the families of the tribes. Have them bring their stick their, their rod, it was about two feet long. It had the insignia of the tribe on it. Leave them in the tabernacle and come back the next morning. When they got back the next morning, Aaron's rod had budded and had made mature almonds. So God said, put that in the box. Now, Aaron's rod signifies the rebellion to God's leadership. Rebecca Moses, Rebecca, have you ever rebelled the leadership God has given you? Rebelled against your parents? You ever rebelled? Come on, don't make me call names, have y'all? How about the pastor? you ever rebelled against the pastor? Oh, sure we have. Come on, let's be come. I will come to your house today. <laughs> the third thing that we find in the ark is the tablets that God made for Moses. Moses on the mountain, 40 days. God writes the tablets, the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten. Before Moses is back down the mountain, they've already broken them. They made a golden calf. They worship it. Moses gets down. He's furious. He smashes the tablets on the ground. Man, you know, he just throws down on Aaron and everybody. And, and this, is, this is where I would have shifted a little bit from what Moses did. Now, Moses is fasting for 40 days. He breaks the tablets. And he goes back up the mountain. I would have stopped my McDonald's after a 40-day fast before I would have gone back up there. And no telling when I would get to eat again. So he goes and said, God, I got bad news and worse news. The bad news is... They've broken your Ten Commandments. They've worshipped a golden calf. Worst news is, I got mad, threw them down. Do you mind getting me another set? Because I broke that last one. And so God scribes, and so he, Moses goes back down. Later, God says, make a chest, make an ark, overlay it with gold, put those three things in. The rebating gets the, the provision of God, rebating gets the leadership of God, and rebating gets the Word of God. Does that make sense? Are y'all with me? See, all three of those things in the ark represented the failure of the people. Sin, missing the mark. Now, if this were the end of the movie, it would be a horror flick. We're talking Friday the 13th, a little Freddy Krueger action, but this is not the end of the movie because we don't want to focus on what's in the ark. We want to focus on what's on top of the ark, which is the mercy seat. In Exodus chapter 
25, verse 17, it says this, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide, put it on the ark. Now, we live in a day of grace. Y'all love some grace? Man, I'm all about me some grace. You are by grace through faith are you saved. God is a gracious God. We love it. You know what we don't talk about, though? We rarely talk about the mercy of God. We talk about God's grace, but we don't talk about God's mercy. So let me give you the difference between the two. A little working definition. Grace is what God does that we do not deserve. Do we deserve salvation? Do we deserve heaven? No, that is grace. We get what we don't deserve. Mercy is what God withholds from us that we do deserve. Like we deserved hell, right? Have we all sinned? See, we deserve God's wrath, but mercy says that God is going to withhold from us that which we deserve. So let me ask you a question. If you're listening, say I am. Why didn't God call this the grace seat? Because, see, that's what God gives us that we don't deserve. No, this is the mercy seat. That is God withholding from us that which we do deserve. So I'm going to go get a little linguistic on you for a minute. You may want to take a couple notes because I'm going to drill down a little deeper than I normally drill. I'm going to give you a picture, picture that you do not want to miss. Are you with me? If you're with me, say I'm with you. All right, the Hebrew word mercy is kaporeth. Now, we've anglicized that word, and we call it kippur. Does that word sound familiar? Yom Kippur, which is the day of covering or the day of mercy. It is still a day that's on the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, the day of mercy. Again, the day of covering. And so what, 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 what is we go back and, and think about it, the Latin translation which was in the fourth century, translating the Hebrew and the Greek and the, uh, into the Latin, which became the language of the day. The word mercy was translated propitiation. And what we did is we just kept that Latin word and made it an English word. Now go back before that to 270 BC, when the language of the day was Greek. And they that they did, they made, they took the Hebrew Old Testament and they made it the Septuagint. Seventy men, seventy days. Seventy is the word Septuagint, so that's why they call it Septuagint. They translated the Hebrew word mercy into hilasterion. Are you still listening? Are you okay? Hilasterion. Now you got to follow because I'm about to rock your world. Are you ready to be rocked? I right, just walk. Well, here, let's go to First John, chapter two. My little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not what? Now, since you got saved, have you sinned? See, we're not sinless, but after we're saved, shouldn't we sin less? Are you with me? Did y'all get that? If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the what? Propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, go back to verse, verse 1. Because I want to give you a little better translation. Said that if any of you sins, again, have you sinned since you got saved? Have you sinned today? Don't point at someone. Come on, stop that. It's almost Christmas. And so, if this is a reflective sentence, actually a better translation, and again, like I said, I really don't drill down this deep, but this picture is so worth it. If it would, if would be better translated, since. Or when, 
and since anyone sins or when anyone sins. Does that sound better to you? Because you know you're going to. And so since or when anyone sins, we have an advocate. Advocate means attorney or lawyer. When the devil stands before God the Father and accuses you, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. Jesus stands between you and the devil said, I paid for that sin. They're forgiven. God doesn't see that anymore. So that's what he does. So go to the, and he said, he himself is the propitiation or, or the halazmas. The word halazmas means the blood offering. Hebrews said without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Remember it said in this passage that every year, once a year, the high priest would go into the holy of holies. He would take one drop of blood. He would put it on the halazmas, on the mercy seat. And it would be for the forgiveness of his sins and the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Are you with me? So it's, it's the Hasmas, the mercy seat. Romans 3.23 says this. For how many have sinned? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is a, this is a archery term. It is hamartia. For all of us have hamartia. We have all drawn back the bow. And we have all missed the target. We have missed the mark. Now, the mark is not being as good as the pastor. That's way too low. The mark is not being as good as the elders. The mark is the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. Have any of us hit that mark? No, all of our arrows have come short. We've, we've missed that mark. We're all in the same boat. So look what Jesus did because we've all sinned. Oh, this is so cool. Romans 3.25 for whom God displayed publicly as a what? As a propitiation, as a halasmas. Jesus became your mercy seat. See, if, if God were to take the lid off your life, your heart and your mind and look in your life, would he see some sin? Rebating against his provision, griping and complaining, rebating against spiritual authority in your life, would he find any of that? How about rebating against the word of God and breaking the law? Would, would he find us guilty? Absolutely. See that, but, but what happened? Jesus hung on the cross and Jesus says, the last of the seven saying, tetelestai, which means paid in full, stamped. It is paid in full. See, when Jesus paid it in full, he became your halasmas. And so in our hearts is sin. And what Jesus said, when he died on the cross, he stretched out, and Jesus became your mercy seat. And so when God looks at your life, he looks through the lid. He looks through the halasmas. He looks through the mercy seat. You are forgiven, gone, cleansed, adopted, freely and fully. See, we don't get to go to heaven because we work hard or we become good or we've given enough money. We get to go to heaven because when God looks at you, he sees the lid on the box. He sees the covering over your sin. He sees the blood paid for you. He sees you forgiven, cleansed, holy. And you say, I don't feel that way. Don't care how you feel. Facts trump feelings in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, somebody. You say, but, but Pastor, I don't, I don't feel worthy. Grace, baby. Grace. You say, but it deserves such worse mercy. I love me some grace and some mercy. See, you say, but I just, I'm not worthy. Hey, listen, you're worth whatever somebody will pay for you, and God paid his son for you. God sees value. God sees worth. God looks at you, and all he sees is the covering. Come on, somebody. 
man alive. So this week, you get home from work and your wife is there and she's boy, man, just mercy seat in Jesus' name. Your husband comes home, he's mad enough to kick the dog, smack the kids, mercy seat. You go to work and your boss is having a bad day, mercy seat. You do something, you say something, you step in stupid and you say, I can't believe that again. You run to the advocate in the mercy seat, lifts the lid, puts it in the ark and covers it. You are cleansed, God forgets it and throws it as far as he sits from the west. And the devil and nobody is big enough to pick up that lid off that box because the Son of God is your mercy seat. You are never going to forget this. Listen, you're never going to forget this. And when you feel guilty and when the devil invades your thoughts, when people look at you and they dog you and they tell you you're worthless, you don't have any value in your mind, you just say, man, I got the mercy seat. I'm so valuable that God sent his son for me and he has covered my sins. And man, I am under the mercy seat and God loves me today. If all the world hates me and God loves me, I'm a winner. Are you with me? And so that's you. That's you. Now, since we get ready for the table of the Lord, some of you are believers and you know you've got unrepentant sin in your life, you need to run to the mercy seat. If you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He's about to put it under the ark, man. He's going to put it under the seat. Man, you need to run. Others of you, I know this is a message that's for believers, but God is opening the eyes of some people this weekend. That you've been religious, you tried, you hadn't been good enough. You come to church for a while and fail, and then you come back and you say, I don't understand why I can't get it together. Because you're trying to do it on your own. You're trying to get good enough or be enough. Be good enough so that God will accept you. God accepts you because the mercy seat's covered you. Not because you've done enough, worked enough, served enough. We don't get good enough. What can a man pay for his soul? You can't. And so Jesus paid for it. Are y'all with me? And so that's the deal. Man, it is the most liberating thing. When you see it, it removes guilt. It removes shame because I am covered. I am covered freely and fully. When thoughts in my mind say, I can't believe that, God, if you just had a better pastor of faith promise, there's no telling what this church could do. I'm, I'm covered. I'm covered. When my feelings of inadequacy or my feelings of shame or I think of my past in my life, man, I'm, they're covered. And I can walk in victory because love starts here at the mercy seat. Holy moly. Man, come on. So as we get ready, gather around the table of the Lord, we're going to pray a simple confessional prayer. If you're ready, not to be religious, but to allow the mercy seat to cover all of your sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should be as wool. If you're ready to receive the gift of salvation and the covering, the Yom Kippur today is going to be your day of covering. Today is going to be the day of mercy. So if you're ready, with every bow, every head bow, every eye closed, we're going to pray aloud with you because nobody prays alone. Say, Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I've missed the mark. I've missed it by a mile. I am so sorry. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. You died for me. So I will live for you. You are my mercy seat. You have covered it all. The rest of my life, I will live for you. I will serve you.
in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, somebody give God some praise in the house, would you? Man. Man. Now listen, we got plenty of time. So in just a minute, I'm going to pray. There are, there are Lord's tables at, at, at Pelosipi at every section there. You can find the table closest to you. Usually we stand in the hall in the aisles quietly. Let's worship in the aisles this weekend. When you get to that table, take that cracker, take that juice and go back and say, thank you, Jesus. You are my mercy seat. I am forgiven. Man, I am free. I'm adopted. I am loved today. Take that and just worship with us. We're going to worship God because he deserves. See, we don't worship God, you know, so that he'll so that he'll feel better about us. We're already, if we're born again, under the lid, under the covering. And so we're going to worship him because he's worthy. See, your life will never be the same because of this message. God is going to remind you of this. He's going to bread it on your heart. So are y'all ready to gather around and celebrate the table of the Lord? Are y'all ready? Sweet dove of God, we invite you to land at every campus. We ask you to move. We're going to shout. We're going to praise. We're going to worship. We're going to walk in victory. We're going to remember the sacrifice, the halasmas, the, the blood offering for us that we can receive the hilasterion, the mercy seat, the propitiation that we are adopted fully and freely forgiven, that our sins are gone and we can walk in victory today. We can defeat hell and the grave and every lie of the enemy. We're walking in light. We're walking in love. Love starts here. We're going to be a miracle. God, we worship you. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, somebody jump up and give God some praise. So let's celebrate.